Welcome to Canada's podcast. At Silicon Valley Bank, we help innovative technology and life science companies grow. If you're ready to take your next step, discover how Silicon Valley Bank's founder-friendly financial solutions, industry insights, and connections can help you move your bold ideas forward fast. Go to www.svb.com slash Canada slash connect. Take your next step with Silicon Valley Bank. Hi, this is Angela Fay coming to you from Futureville, where we are building inspiring places worth living for. What if we could overcome paralysis? That is a really big, hairy, audacious goal. And I just want to put some context here. According to dictionary.com, paralysis is the loss of ability to move or sometimes feel anything in part of the body as a result of uh, illness, poison, or injury. But it's also an inability to act or function in a person, organization, or place. So today, we're actually talking about overcoming paralysis in two, uh, in both of those realms. And as we talk about paralysis, really, who cares? Who are the people experiencing the lack of mobility? Are they family? Are they friends? Are they caregivers? Are they purpose-driven entrepreneurs and risk-takers who are uh, in you know, embroiled in making sure that people are able to move. Well, I would challenge you that lots of people, in particular public health providers, need to care more. The data shows that the lifetime cost of serving someone with paralysis through traditional healthcare means is between one and one, 3.5 million, depending on you know, the stage of life or the type of uh, injury or paralysis that they're experiencing. And of course, insurance providers, again, looking at those numbers, they just don't make sense. So we're going to talk today about three inarguable cases for fast-tracking the adoption of new technologies that augment human performance and fast. These are three ways that we can transform the world of paralysis to a better future. Joining me today, and who better to uh, have this conversation, is Karen McLeod. And I just want to introduce, Karen is a, uh, I'll, I'll call it a next-gen uh, entrepreneur. And tell us a little bit about why you're here with us, Karen, today. What's your story? Hey, um, <laughs> here, here. <laughs> um, yeah, my story. Um, I'm not sure where to start, I guess. Um, it's hard to encapsulate <laughs> a whole entire lifetime in, into a few paragraphs. But, uh, you know, I know that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency <laughs> really shaped your life. So share a little bit of that story. Yeah, I guess um, touching back to what you said, the definition of paralysis, people, everyone's paralyzed in some way or another um, through, in some part of their life, maybe. Um, some trauma they can't get past or a physical injury or um, some psychological barrier they've built for themselves over time. But I have a physical paralysis that I um, encountered <laughs> over the last two and a half years um, after a motorcycle accident in Thailand um, while I was traveling with a business partner trying to incubate a tech startup in the crypto blockchain space. 
And how has that impacted your life? And I just want to talk a little bit about day to day. What sort of impact is, you know, not being able to move from the waist down impacted, uh, you know, your personal productivity and quality of life? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a bit higher than the waist down. It's more like nipples down um, for what I've got. So I don't have control over most of my abs as well, which adds an extra layer of difficulty. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's everything from not being able to move to muscle spasms and nerve pain. Um, I guess there's like some body dysmorphia too, because you see your body kind of shrink in some ways as the muscles atrophy. And then you also like, you know, your stomach looks re really weird in comparison to me having like a, a rather athletic <laughs> body before. So you kind of like, you're kind of going in both ways at the same time. <laughs> so that can be very strange. And then you also kind of witnessing weird stuff with your feet um, as they don't get uh, as much walking attention as they used to. But yeah, it impacts your daily life in so many ways. Um, pain is, is interesting and tricky. It seems to come and go in waves like so many other things. Um, but even just this last week, like I thought I had dealt with a lot of pain in a really good way. And then, you know, some you fall or slip and something happens and now there's like a new type of pain that you don't remember experiencing for a very long time that comes out of nowhere um <laughs> yeah and obviously and and this is a bit of a vulnerable point i know but uh, you know i've i found you and discovered you when i was trying to get some solutions at, in business on uh you know with liquid capital and the reality is the impact of of physical paralysis has also impacted friendships and your business and, and, you know, over the particular over the last two years, do you want to just highlight a little bit of that? Yeah. For friends, I guess you kind of see who your real friends are in some ways and some ways not. A lot of people are going through their own stuff and then obviously coronavirus happened. A lot of people got hit in other ways for that, but some friends kind of disappear and, uh, stop engaging and some friendships become much stronger and yeah i've had a, had a much larger impact on my life over the last couple of years before then I, I was i hoped i was at least fairly independent and now um i hope i'm still fairly independent but my friends have definitely come to help in some ways more than others now when i met you i remember asking you the question if you had a you know if you had a million dollars and could wave a magic <laughs> what what would you want for yourself and you know that question alone has actually you know we've gone down a whole entire rabbit hole based on your answer but do you remember what you said to me oh i don't know exactly what i said i can try and replicate it now um but it would probably be an exosuit of sorts um those can go anywhere from like uh 50 to 250,000 depending on which one and which model. So that would be like quarter there, a quarter of a million. Um, and after that, yeah, I'm not sure. And what would that exosuit or exoskeleton mean for you? What's the actual, you know, personal impact of, of you know, and I understand that when you first get it, there's always going to be that hard you know, figuring it all out for your personal case, but then what, what sort of life uh, on a personal level would that create for you? 
Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it is pretty tricky to get around now, depending on where you live with level of paralysis I have. It's definitely worse with um, a higher level, but right now still going more than a couple blocks uh, or even within the building can be tricky depending on um, like minor injuries that you get in your wrists or your elbows or your shoulders um, or skin injuries. So having an exosuit would basically make it so that you could walk um, at least probably a couple hours a day, most days, um, unassisted um, eventually after a couple weeks of assistance. Um, and yeah, get, get even more independence. It would also just be really good for the body and the mind in so many ways because your body and your muscles atrophy quite a bit when um, they're disconnected from your spinal cord. So everything from below my injury um, has definitely atrophied quite a bit, um, but also you get atrophy within your bones to where you get osteoporosis. Um, and yeah, then also psychologically, I mean, I've only walked for a total of maybe two hours or three out three hours in the last two and a half years so if you compare that to most people's day that's <laughs> that you know you probably get that in a single day <laughs> um <What>? yeah so <laughs> whereas then, like with next to yeah you'd be able to get that the first day of having it almost or the second day <laughs> so uh, to me it, it is an inarguable case that the case for an exoskeleton or suit or e even augmented, um, you know, wheelchairs that are totally different performance are, you know, 10 times more impactful from a human experience point of view than what you what currently options the options are for you now. <laughs> yeah, yes. Waking up and knowing you have to get right into a wheelchair um, and operate your most of your life in a wheelchair if you want to leave your house um, can be very strange. I mean, for, even though it's only been two and a half years to me, I imagine if you're born with an injury having early on in life it becomes easier over time, but it's still, regardless of how adapted you are to it, it still like feels weird and feels unnatural in a lot of ways. Um, which is physically obvious for everyone outside, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely still strange. So I, I think we've sort of talked about and proven the case as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's inarguable that, you know, we just need to get uh, Kieran an exoskeleton. Um, and I, I want to talk a little bit, though, about the business case and the, and the sense of scale that we're talking about, because... Uh, you and I have talked about this, and I, I just kind of remember thinking, surely I can help you get an exoskeleton. That was really one of my first goals. And then we thought, oh, how, how many people are we really talking about? What, what is the scope of this problem for, you know, uh, everyone in the world? And you and I sort of dug in and did some research and, you know, picking up on, you know, the, our, our quintessential Superman, Christopher Reeves, right? Their foundation was just one of the sources, and we've cited many, that just gives us some of the scope and scale of what we're talking about. And in the U.S. alone, there were five, I think it was 5.4 million people suffering from injury paralysis. You know, and this is not including any of the other mobility um, challenges like full-on you know 
elder care or um, MS or some of the other conditions. And, you know, I think it was you that brought to my attention the lifetime cost of, uh, you know, our healthcare, public health care system and, and serving someone. Do you want to sort of shed some light on that from your perspective? Yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's definitely not just me that needs an exosuit. Most people um, with paralysis need some type of device similar to this um, in order to like regain a lot of their life back. Um, I think in the US, it's up to about 2% of the population um, that have paralysis, um, usually from some form of stroke or motor vehicle accident, um, along with, like, like you mentioned, MS. Um, ALS is also a big reason for loss of bodily function and movement. Um, there's a lot of reasons someone might need an exosuit. <laughs> um, sorry, I've forgotten what the question was. <laughs> well, and really, what is the scope of the? Oh of yeah, the yeah, problem, right. Is and yeah, yeah. Some of the research that we've found, and even your knowledge of the public cost, direct public cost of of serving somebody with paralysis. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, that puts me back on track. Yeah, I was also reading from the WHO that worldwide it's anywhere from 40 to 60 people per million that are dealing with um, some form of paralysis. Um, so depending on where you're in the world, it does cost different amounts, um, right. but it's anywhere from about, yeah, one, one million to three million dollars um, in most developed countries um, for a cost on the healthcare system. So it depends on where you're getting your assistance um, and the, the degree to which it's helpful. But also it depends on, are they including just um, high cost uh, pharmaceuticals and low quality physiotherapy, or right. is there a way to change that up a little bit? <laughs> you know, we haven't even attempted to put a dollar figure or a scope on the lost productivity, right? As far as you as a person or the millions of people suffering from the same condition, you know, they would love to be... Contributing more in business or to their community or volunteering or to their families. And now there's, you know, just um, that much more lost productivity. And there's, and I'm sure there's sometimes scientists or PhD <laughs> students that could put a dollar figure on that. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's all of their lost wages for, I think it's maybe 35% of people with paralysis can no longer work um, to any capacity. Um, which is quite impactful. I mean, most it's it's good now that a lot of jobs can be done from your computer, but there's also so many problems that can stop you from being able to do that and other time commitments or restraints that it costs to just keep up with life. So let's just take that individual case just so we can follow that story a little bit. So we're talking between one and three and a half million dollars to service a single individual in comparison to, you know, for instance, getting Kieran a an exoskeleton suit. Could you give me an idea of what you understand to be the upfront capital costs and then the ongoing costs if you were now suddenly found yourself less in the public care system and more autonomous in uh, with a suit? What would that look like? Yeah, yeah. So there's um, that's a big question. <laughs> um, yeah, being in a suit and the benefits that would cost your life, you would prevent a lot of muscle atrophy, which is um, a large connection. There's a large connection between muscle density and 
and atrophy and cognitive disorders later in life. So having as much muscle on your body is really good for that. When you're paralyzed, you already have a two to five times chance of mortality for the average person. So trying to keep up, keep up those things as much as possible is good. Um, osteoporosis and having all of these things not go wrong, the way they save money on the healthcare system in the long term is not needing to get yearly MRIs and x-rays and right. Right. tens of thousands of dollars worth of pain pills um, per year, um, along with maybe five to 10 hours of physiotherapy um, a week um, or sorry, per month um, or per year, depending on how good you've got it set up, I guess. Um, and yeah, the ability to just take back a lot of independence in your life. If you can walk alone at home, unassisted in a healthy way um, to where it may have cost you five or $600 to travel to somewhere to do so um, for an hour um, mm-hmm. once a week is, is night and day. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I hadn't even thought of factored in like the travel costs and things like that, but we're talking about the difference between uh, you know, an upfront capital cost of, I'm just spitballing, hundred and two hundred and $250,000, you know, for the, yeah. that's for the rigid ditch. And then ongoing maintenance of the suit itself, or maybe check-ins with a physio, right? Of, I, I don't know, we, you and I spitballed is something like $2,500 a year, right? So something like um, that. Yes. Uh, it's, it's definitely skewed towards initially getting the suit. Um, right. All, most of the costs are going to be upfront and then right. you would need anywhere from like maybe 10 to 50 sessions with a physiotherapist in order to learn how to use the suit. You're, you're basically learning how to walk again, um, like a child does. So you have to start with a walker and then you start with maybe someone, you start with four, four, like three to four people helping you and you using a walker to eventually one person and you using a walker. And then eventually you have like just one or two people helping you and then you get down to just using it alone. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a very tricky thing to learn. <laughs> so uh, again, Kieran, I'm just going to say to me, you've just sort of nailed the business sense, right? And from a, from both an individual perspective uh, and with the whole entire public healthcare system, that it just makes more sense to, you know, have a higher upfront capital cost than just, you know, all of these wasted costs and, you know, We've already talked about the human sense. I want to talk a little bit about the sense for the whole community. And I want to get a sense from your perspective on, again, if you could go big and, you know, your challenges, even with an exosuit, but certainly in this phase of now until you are independent, uh, independently walking with an exosuit or mobile with an exosuit. Um, you know, essentially we are talking about augmenting your human performance in comparison to what it, what it is now. But what would an ideal community look like for you? Um, and I'm going to preface that by saying some of the frustrations that I see and not even, not even directly experiencing paralysis um, and I've had a total mind that you and I need to go like wheelchair, have a wheelchair race downtown Vancouver. And it just in the built environment. I'd smoke you. Right. It really, it really sucks as far as curbs and bathrooms that are, uh, you know, 
quote unquote, accessible. All of this major infrastructure has these codes about building for access. And yet, really, it's a marginal increase. I would, I would assume it's probably better, but it's not great. So tell me about the, some of the challenges that you're experiencing in the built environment that you live in now. And if you could imagine the perfect case, what would it look like? Yeah, yes, yeah, so that's a good question. Um, and I did have one last idea for that cost, just that spread yeah. from your idea if it only costs you marginally more for infrastructure. It is almost the same for an exosuit. If you get injured in a, in a developed country, you're already costing your medical system on the emergency side anywhere from seventy to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars just for the ICU, for the surgery, the implants you have to get, the doctors, the anesthetologists, <laughs> um, and then like the weeks and months of in hospital care and then post rehab treatment. You already spent a quarter of a million dollars, so adding on a device that would be fifty thousand to potentially another quarter of a million, depending on your level of injury. It's not that much more. You're, you're, you're only adding anywhere from 10 to 50% more <laughs> or 200% more. But yeah, it depends on what the total cost ends up being and your level of injury. If your spinal cord injury is not complete and much less severe, then it takes much less time. If you can't use your arms, it's, it, it goes even more. <laughs> um, but how that would change in a society or in a group or a community, um, there's there's so many ways. Um, when you think about the basic things that a human needs, you a community is one of those. Um, a lot of us are are very separate and isolated. Um, in wheelchair people are not, especially during COVID, from the people around us. We're as humans used to having anywhere from fifty to hundred um, close social um, family or friend members or community members that we engage with on a on a weekly or, or daily basis um, for collecting food or resources and um, maintaining like a homeostasis for all of the chemicals that run through our body. Um, and we have very little of that now. We, a lot of us live in apartments or houses separated from most of the people we engage with. Um, and I mean, this doesn't even touch on the physical stuff, but the way you would build a physical community um, fully accessible for people that need it would would drastically change all of their lives. Um, I've only been in a, a, a slightly wheelchair accessible apartment now for the last month. And for the last year, I had lived somewhere where it was almost dangerous to leave the house due to like how steep the ramp was. Now it just went right into a tree. And then even leaving the house was almost impossible because it was a, a ramp upwards that was way too steep for me to go up unless someone else pushed me. So yeah, there's... I mean, uh, a flat apartment style or townhouse style community where people could like grow some of their own food, um, engage with a couple other people, work together on small projects or big projects. And yeah, general like STEM engineering, science, uh, engaging community would be pretty awesome. The team at Silicon Valley Bank in Canada can help you move your bold ideas forward, fast, bringing global expertise to founders, investors, and innovators. Visit www.svb.com slash Canada slash connect to find out more. I just want to talk a little bit about, um, 
I'm going to go back in time a little bit with you because it's, it's related to this story. Uh, and your friends and you have shared that, you know, you, you were a stockbroker, is that right? Or you were a bro- trade broker? In the- um, no, no, no. Not, not, not officially. Okay. It was all just working for myself as an individual. Okay, so as a consultant, or for others, or just for yourself. Um, I, I mean, I worked at financial companies in Australia that were financial brokerages, but we didn't deal with um, stocks or options or any okay. that stuff. Okay, but you, you self uh, independently made money prior to your motorcycle accident. Um, yeah, yeah. I learned then, how to trade stocks through school um, right. and entrepreneur clubs. And then you were, and then you were taking that knowledge, and you were actually starting a company, right? At the, at the time. Um, yeah. 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 So yeah. I mean, I started personally in stocks, and I started to research some cryptocurrency more. And in one of my last years of school, I met um, someone that wanted to work together in that space. And yeah, I got launched into all of this. <laughs> You've always been a little bit forward thinking, right? And and I know you have some opinions, which there's a whole other podcast on the next gen uh, economy, which we'll we can leave for another time. But I want to talk. You also had built a tiny house, and this just gives us a snapshot on what you am, were imagining your future <laughs> look like. It was, you know, out of out of the major urban center. Uh, it was, and what what were you imagining? would be your lifestyle. Yeah. So it, the whole idea started, even just in high school, I started hearing about small houses and also just being, being environmentally neutral almost of growing a lot of your own food, being portable and having a low environmental impact. Um, and then also financially, I was spending anywhere from one to $2,000 a month for rent with myself and a partner um, to live. And it seemed just obvious if you could build a house for what would cost maybe two or three years of rent that you could live in for 20 or 30 years. Um, it just, it made so much sense. And then I was also getting along with other people in the townhouse community. It seemed like a good idea. Um, and it almost had a dual purpose. It was half supposed to be able to operate on a farm. Um, it was parked on a vegan animal rescue farm, but it was also designed in a way that it could be used in a downtown setting and kind of mesh in to look kind of like a shed, but still be solar powered and independent and not need like an external bathroom or shower to use. So all those were self-contained. So I'm going to tie all of this conversation into actionable ways that people can uh, help enable augmented human performance. You've heard the business, you've heard the human case, which is, First and foremost, really the, the the transformation that we'd like to see both for you Karen, and for millions of other people around the world. Uh, the second, of course, is the business case. It doesn't make any sense to um, you know to be serving people with paralysis in in traditional means. We really want to engage the, with the new technologies and bring them bring them to life for more people. And, you know, it just makes community sense, whether, you know, our, our, the challenge for you, Karen, right now is, you know, the, the, the dream with your tiny house is right now put on the back burner, right? And take such time. And, and yeah, I, it's I'm, not wheelchair accessible. <laughs> it's, just, 
And I'm saying it's just on the back burner. It's it's not eliminated. I, if I know you about anything, it's that your dreams always simmer. You've got so much energy. It's great. Um, so I, I want to actually say to our audience of listeners, if you feel like you can contribute to the cause, or you know somebody and you'd love to help out this cause, we are going to talk about three absolutely imaginable ways that you can help out right now and contribute. Um, first of all, the big, big, bold future that is part of Kieran's biggest imagination and my imagination here at Futureville is to actually build a purpose built prototype village that will enable Kieran to live in the, the community that he talks about and people where they can live as permanent residents or they can you know, go to the village and actually go through the transformation, learning how to walk again. There's going to be companies there with different solutions. There's going to be a production space, going to be a workspace where Kieran can actually, you know, do his consulting and work on the side and, you know, a place for individuals and uh, families alike to be there. So Kieran, tell what are your comments about a, uh, a, a purpose-built village that helps augment human performance? Yeah, so I see, I see this coming together in so many ways, whether it's in like a downtown city type environment or more out in the, out in the farm area. <laughs> um, you, could, you could have like an apartment building-based one or something that's a bit more open on a large piece of land, which might be an easier way to start. Um, but yeah, being able to move around in an easy way where it's hopefully relatively flat or there's um, convenient elevators or ways to get up and down if you need to, um, growing your own food, engaging with community members, uh, being able to work together and build stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, a lot of what gives people purpose is having a passion and drive um, for something in the future. And a lot of a lot of people with paralysis or some injuries get isolated often, um, either in their house or in their local. It could be a hundred meters of where they live that they don't leave. Um, and yeah, yeah, really not being able to engage with anyone outside that space can be very limiting. So trying to bring a bunch of these people together um, that want to build and grow seems like a good idea. <laughs> I love it. And serve millions of people who... You know, if we can catch them when they experience paralysis early, the chances of being able to, um, you know, retrain their brain to be able to walk even unassisted is much higher if we, if we have a community like this dedicated. Um, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, the rehab center I went to didn't even have an exosuit available. So right. if you had a minor injury, your chances of recovery would go up quite drastically if you had a good exosuit available. And obviously a much less severe injury. I've got one of the highest severities of damage to a spinal cord. <laughs> so I, I just as a recap, building a purpose village is in our agenda. That's what Future Build does. We help uh, sort of shape and project manage the capital raising, the getting the idea from idea to actually implementation. So if anybody is inclined, whether you are um, sort of a philanthropist, uh, on the human cause or your a company who sees the business case for introducing this or purely a host community that wants to be on the world map 
for augmenting human performance and being like sort of the the um, the, the birthplace of a of a community like this. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So alive at futureville.com. That's F U R, sorry, F U T U R V I L L E.com is a great way to connect with us on that. But I also want to talk about uh, the roadshow and another major uh, hurdle for Karen is testing different exoskeletons right now. There's a whole lot of red tape as far as uh, healthcare approvals in order to get to work through. So even just helping people imagine a different future and, and actually taking the steps to test different products is actually a barrier right now. So, you know, Karen being the, the stimulus for this idea is, tell us a little, a little bit about the roadshow idea, Karen, and what we, you would love to help um, bring to a much larger yeah, so I imagine most people with paralysis have, first of all, never tried an exosuit. Um, and most of them may not even know about them, um, that they exist, or how it would change their life. So the idea was to bring a variety of potential exosuits um, out to where people are. Um, it's great when they're, they're all clustered in a big city, but sometimes they're in smaller cities too. Uh, and basically allowing them to try one of these exosuits um, and petition for themselves to even um, get their insurance to come in and help with it or find methods to the community to find one for themselves. Seems like a, a, a good community effort overall. We can bring down the cost from millions of dollars per person to even under a million dollars. Um, that seems like it would have a big impact. <laughs> And so just the call to action here is, you know, let's take technologies on the road. We want to hear from manufacturers, potential distributors, which might be in healthcare providers, uh, or even just champions like Kieran, who would be interested in, in bringing these skeletons to their community, getting past the red tape and making it happen in their community. We want to hear from you and we want you to submit your ideas. Got an open source uh, platform, and we are inviting people to contribute their ideas um, and being part of the roadshow. And we will provide those links uh, at, at the end of the, of the show. But, you know, this started as just you and I, Karen, and I just said, you know what, this is an amazing person who has so much to contribute in the world. And I just feel like I can help get you an exoskeleton suit and everything. <laughs> Through this public relations campaign, we can help you do that. Really, what what pathways do you see and have you created for yourself to uh, to to get one step closer to getting an own, your own personal EX skeleton? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've I've tried to continue um, with the company that I was running at the time of the injury in order to self fund one, um, and that remained difficult to do. Um, trying to engage with friends and family um, in order to raise enough money to get some, and then also just continuing to work in other ways um, that I've, I've used in the past. So advising or consulting, um, and it remains difficult. Um, the monthly costs of paralysis seem to always eat up whatever money I can potentially save. And uh, equipment, 
for catheters. Um, right. You've got to buy mobility accessories like wheelchairs and keep them repaired. And then um, if you want to take anything for pain like CBD, that costs a lot. <laughs> so yeah, getting an exosuit is, is pretty pricey. And then being able to maintain it and care for it properly and ensure it's like a whole other thing. <laughs> Uh, but you do have at least one big fundraising initiative on the go, right? Which is, uh, again, something that uh, by necessity you've had to let go of or want, have can't purposely function in your tiny house right now. So is it for sale? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely trying to sell it. Um, I posted it online. I maybe need to update those postings. Um, but if anyone is interested in it, it's on YouTube if you search my name and Tiny House, um, or if you want to email me and connect and learn about the specifics of it. It's located near Toronto right now in Ontario, um, so anyone in like North America, I guess, could really get to it if they wanted to. It could be brought over to like BC or kept there, um, but it's it's basically a self-contained house, and it's about ninety-five percent complete. Uh, it needs a little bit of completion, but. It's 99 square feet. It's got a wet room and a kitchen and an elevator bed. And um, it took a long time to design and build. Um, and it's very well made. So if anyone's interested in it, um, feel free to reach out. And, and I just want to emphasize here and uh, from your friend and colleague's point of view that, you know, Kieran is in his mind, you know, super independent. And while you have, condition and i'm calling it a temporary condition because i'm pretty sure we're going to get you an exoskeleton but this um this condition which is keeping you immobile right now he's one of the most uh you know inspirational people that i've met in in self-serving and so i would love to see you find a buyer for this tiny house he's going to put a big chunk of money aside for you to save up for and maybe perhaps a down payment. You know, let, let's talk about all the pathways to, to possibility in getting this exoskeleton. Maybe it would be enough of a down payment for somebody to finance the remainder of it. Or send us uh, you know, some of the vendors that we're going to be showcasing on the on the road show. We imagine, you know, you you're the perfect test pilot as and we need weather champions like you to be able to take on the road and showcase the amazing. Uh, experience that it would be um, with an exoskeleton in in life versus without one. So uh, these are just a few of the ways that we imagine and we've opened up to the possibility of getting exoskeleton and then scaling the same experience for millions of other people. So we would love to have you contribute. Um, we'll put all of the calls to action at the end of the podcast so you can contribute. Karen, if you could leave uh, our audience with some inspiring thoughts. What, what, what would you like to say? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> inspiring thoughts. Um, oh man. Um, I was actually just thinking of something and I may have forgotten it. Um, but yeah, I mean, life, life is very difficult. Um, for all kinds of people all over the world. Um, obviously, with the type of injury I have, it makes life more difficult compared to how I was progressing before and where I may have been now without it. But for so many other people in the world, it's, it's done enough 
and added enough difficulty to their life that they're not even to the point where they may be able to sit here for an hour and, and record a podcast like this from having too much pain or, or trauma or PTSD. Um, and a lot of that goes undealt with. Um, it's pretty hard to speak out about it and talk about what's going wrong in your life. There's, most people get negative feedback from the people around them, unfortunately, even if they're family or friends in so many ways. So it's, it's hard to talk about. Um, and if, I guess if more people talk about it, it'll normalize it a bit more and make it more comfortable. So I want to acknowledge your bravery today because I know we even had like code words, you know, and card symbols to say, oh, we have to pause and because it was difficult for you to sit. And so I do not want to underestimate uh, the effort and, and your contribution to make this happen. And we are one step closer to enabling augmented human performance for millions of people around the world. It always starts with one step. Karen, you're an inspiration. I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast today. And I look forward to seeing all of our calls to action, gain some momentum, and for you to achieve your goals. Awesome. Yeah, it was great talking to you. And if anyone wants to get in contact with me um, for any of those things, um, I have an email that is email kieran at pm.me, E-M-A-I-L-K-I-E-R-A-N at pm.me. Awesome. Kieran, thanks so much. We'll see you again soon. Awesome. See you. Bye. The Silicon Valley Bank team in Canada can help you take your next step Find out more about the bank that has nearly 40 years of global experience supporting venture-backed tech and life science companies and their investors. We're in Canada to help leading innovators reach the next stage faster. Visit www.svb.com slash Canada slash connect. Take your next step with Silicon Valley Bank.